welcome to the Pridopod, where our mission is to improve the productivity and profitability of the construction industry. Our mantra is safer, faster, smarter, easier, and our measure of success is making a positive impact on your business, wherever you're listening from. My name's Adam, and part of my job at Prida is to look over the horizon and help our customers and their customers achieve long-term success. I don't have a crystal ball, but I do have access to some of the industry's most respected experts in fabrication, building, design, and the cutting edge of research. I hope you enjoy these opportunities to step back from the day-to-day and explore the topics that will shape the future of building. On today's episode, I'm joined by Paolo Levici, Program Manager for the Resilient Timber Homes Program, an exciting new initiative from the Forest and Wood Products Association. Paolo has been a key contributor to the growth of timber use in taller and more complex structures, changing the mindsets of many market participants and helping developers, builders and consultants to take advantage of the benefits of wood-based structural systems by managing their risks and optimising their results. With a PhD in industrial technologies specialising in wood, Paolo has over 30 years of experience in the sector, with advisory and hands-on roles in design, construction, project management, research and product development, teaching and training. He is a brilliant and well-connected advocate for timber, and we are excited to learn more about his latest project to help ensure timber remains the preferred building material across the broadest possible range of design scenarios. Hello, Paolo, and welcome to the Pridopod. Hello, Adam. Thanks for having me. So we're excited to dive into the Resilient Timber Homes program today. I think in many ways you're preaching to the converted in this audience when it comes to talking about the benefits of timber framing. So we all know that timber is great. We love it. Why do we need to have a Resilient Homes program? I believe we need and we want as a, a sector of the industry to make the case for timber into this space and provide resources and evidence for timber use in bushfire areas, flood prone areas, cyclonic areas, and the combination of these, because in some cases the code doesn't uh, fully uh, represent what's happening. Just think about uh, big bushfires creating their own weather and their own winds in area which are not Uh, consider cyclonic and therefore people do not design. They are not bound to designing for cyclonic uh, detailing. But also there are other needs uh, related to resilience like heat waves, adaptability of your building as the family evolves, for instance. So that's resilient means different things for different people. And of course, there is a a hard core shell of, of, of uh, features that we need to consider, bushfire, flood, and cyclones, but there's many other um, features around it that may be integrated into a code plus design, a better design and construction practice to make uh, your home more resilient for uh, maybe a future-proof uh, value of your home. And then steel is moving fast and strong into this sector, So they have very visible initiatives and we have some very good evidence that timber homes can and are resilient that we need to show even to the general public. Yeah, I can certainly sympathize with the need for a home to evolve with a family. I think that's a really interesting area. Um, I'm going through that experience myself with three young children all growing up. Um, So what is it about this, obviously these extreme conditions and Obviously, the, the feeling is that it's important to show that timber is completely capable of providing a safe, durable, 
home structure, even in these extreme conditions, is that sort of the, I suppose, the ethos of the program? And then do you see that flowing onto benefits, you know, more generally in, in you know, in less severe conditions? Yeah, you're right. So showing to people how designing better can lower the risk and the life cycle costs of their home ownership and what could be could, could be some offset mechanisms like lower council rates, lower insurance fees, but also a better future property valuation, I think it's very important. So as we always do, we talk on one side to the specifiers, so the architects, engineer, but developers and builders as well, they play a, an important role into this. On the other end, we try and talk to the general public, like from... Uh, what we do in our uh, consumer campaigns and try to increase the demand and the awareness of the general public uh, of what timber structures can guarantee to them. And therefore they will ask to their uh, uh, consultants for more of it. Yeah, that's uh, I think a personal bugbear of mine. So I'm going through the experience myself of uh, choosing a builder and building a new home and the only mention in the entire process of the framing material was a single line item kind of buried in one of the pre-sales documents and it wasn't discussed at all and i mean for me personally i think that for timber to be successful we need people like me who are building a home to go to builders and say it has to be timber um, i'm only going to accept a timber frame for for all these reasons so i mean maybe you could dive into that a little bit more as uh, a homeowner what are what are the benefits of timber versus another material in the frame of the home. Yeah, so look, what you said has two sides. The bad side is that we are taking timber for granted. But the good side is the same, that we are taking it for granted for a reason, because it has proven over centuries to satisfy the needs that we have in building homes, right? So injecting a little bit more technicality, more evidence and more specification-based description is certainly useful. But never forget that uh, what we do now is based on centuries of experience from the carpenters, and therefore it, this has a value, right? Uh, people are not stupid. They are choosing a certain way of doing something for a reason. We just need to optimize it. We just need to make it more efficient in today's uh, market conditions and social conditions. So... That's why uh, also we talk about the resilience of the supply chain that is able to listen, maybe sometimes anticipate, understand the needs from the market when they are evolving and therefore provide an answer as solutions. Huh? This is uh, basically our name. Wood solutions means that we want to listen to the problem and provide some solutions. Okay, so we have this program, you're working across a number of different facets and stakeholders to influence the, the choice towards timber as a material. So I, mean, I would like to dive a little bit more into that program and the mechanics of it. So perhaps just at a high level, how is it being structured and funded? Well, it is an FWPA initiative, So, but we want active partners in a flexible type of agreement. Therefore, we have a two-on-one voluntary matching. In all our activities, we have voluntary matching, but normally it is one-on-one. -on -one. For every dollar that the industry puts in, we put $1. In this case, we are, avail uh, we are able to put $2 because of the social relevance. Uh, and according to certain rules, we can use 
uh, more of the um, of the Commonwealth funds that we have available for our programs. And then there is another new rule in this case, differently from the mid-rise advisory that you know already, that because you were part of it, we will pay first for the goods and services that are needed to implement and deliver this program. And then we will claim refunds uh, of the expenditures that we have done from the partners. So it's like in the restaurant. So we eat first and pay after uh, instead of paying up front. So it's a good mechanism also from a partner to be involved with. Okay, so there's some proof of concept there and some performance that you know, various people in the industry can see uh, before being asked to contribute to that overall funding and the continuation of the program. Yeah, indeed. So we have uh, currently spoken with uh, 40, 50 different entities that represent a broader range of companies and uh, non-commercial entities like organization agencies, R&D bodies like universities, and we have regulators, and we have created um, a model uh, agreement that is quite flexible and enables uh, different partners with different nature and different needs to participate by contributing in, in a way which is proportional and adequate to their status and, and, and financial capabilities. So I think it will work quite well because having a, a broader um, a broader range of partners involved with which share the same commitment, bulk commitment uh, to uh, creating something which is both uh, beneficial to the people who invest money, but also for a large part of it beneficial for the community, which is our mandate with uh, using Commonwealth funds. Uh, I think it will work well. And we've done it in a number of cases, including the map. So that's within our nature to try and optimize this, uh, uh, harmonize these two functions together. Yeah. So can you tell me a bit more about that blend of voices and stakeholders that you have? So are there some people and businesses and organizations that are sort of outside, you know, what we would conventionally think of when we think of timber framing and advocates for timber framing? Yeah, definitely, because we need to listen to their voices. And so, for instance, we have a number of organizations like the Green Building Council, uh, the uh, HIA, the Master Builders, which represent uh, one side of the equation, so the clients. And we have some actual builders and developers that uh, are interested, especially now, into the design competition. They, They like the idea which is behind our design competition. So we are talking with Fraser, Stockland, and uh, Intrapark, just to name a few. And then we have the insurance side. Huh? So we're talking directly with a couple of insurers, but mostly with their, uh, the Insurance Council of Australia, which represents them all, and with Sedgwick, which as a company provide their services to the whole insurance uh, insurers, in terms of uh, data analytics and data intelligence, but mostly in terms of uh, organizing practically the interventions uh, for the refurbishment after a a climatic event. So they really uh, coordinate the builders that go there, inspect, provide a quote, and do the work. 
So Sedgwick will be a, a very interesting partner into, into this. And then we have the timber industry, of course, because we all need to be there and listen to other stakeholders and be able to make them understand what we can provide to solve the problems, how we will do it in a, in a coordinated way. Yeah, I think that insurance angle is a really interesting one because you published some data when you were sharing some of the reasons for this program and it showed that due to climate change, due to increased flooding risk and factors like that, a large percentage of homes in Australia are actually facing the risk of being <clears throat> uninsurable as currently built and according to current standards. Yeah, good point. Exactly. This is one of the reasons that triggered our interest into this space. Uh, it's overwhelming. It was overwhelming for me when I read this first. Uh, I would have thought that uh, bushfire and cyclones would be the main problem for Australia, but no. Floods are, by large, uh, a much bigger problem for the community in terms of human costs and, and, and uh, dollar costs. So, I mean, we need to take care of this seriously and provide uh, our view and our solutions. Yeah, I think, I mean, the frame and truss industry has certainly borne the brunt of flooding in the last 12 months or so. We've seen, you know, just record flood levels from 50, 60 years ago, just blown out of the water, um, pardon the pun, but there's the the risks around flooding have become very very real for for well for frame and truss fabricators and for the building industry at large just in in getting things built let alone the the safety and security of you know existing structures so i think that's a really interesting angle and we do have a good guide guide number 12 in wood solutions technical design guide series that deals with the impact and assessment of moisture affected timber frame construction so what's coming after the flood. Now with the design competition and the collaboration with the partners, we want to end the R&D project that will be activated within uh, this program. We want to really tackle the way we design to prevent and limit and mitigate the effect of floods from day one. Yeah, that's actually, it's good, nice segue that you mentioned that existing wood solutions design guide, because what I was going to ask next was, what sort of output can we expect from the Resilient Timber Homes program? And is it more deliverables along those same lines? So we will start with a guide that describes the state of the art as it is. Very strong on cyclone, very strong on bushfire. We have strong evidence that uh, well-designed and built uh, timber structure does actually withstand real bushfires. Uh, and then... Through the design competition, there will be some clever ideas that apply to the flood designs. I've visited already some people in Queensland which have done something, so that will be part of the guide. It will be illustrated. But then, after the design competition, and probably also after uh, the R&D project that will start, will provide some evidence, we will update this guide. Right? It's a, it's a live tool. A guide is not something which crystallizes the information on a single day, it will be up there. All our guides are updated regularly. Yeah, you've mentioned the design competition a few times now, so it's probably a good time to take a bit more time to look into that. So can you tell us a bit more about what are the elements of this competition, uh, who's going to be involved, and what are you really hoping to get out of that? Yeah, it's important to have a national design competition, and especially we will follow the um, Institute of Architects uh, model rules, the AIA model rules, 
with a series of partner-specific briefs. Those rules are really complete and thorough, but they are flexible, luckily. So they allow us to create a series of specific briefs together with uh, specific partners into the program and make the brief relevant for them. Uh, and that's uh, something that developers and builders that I have approached really liked. And um, the commitment from them will be to engage the winners that they will contribute into nominating because they will be part of the jury and it will be based on their brief, right? Uh, so the developers and builders that uh, contribute to this, they will engage the winners that they nominate into doing the shop drawings and therefore they will be able to produce uh, prototypes and or series straight after the design competition. So the design competition will not in this case end up with uh, fantastic ideas, but which look like a little bit of a spaceship <laughs> when people actually, yeah, when people actually need a youth, you know, hmm. or, a, or a city car. So they will they will describe what contributors to this actually need tomorrow, and it can be implemented really soon, pretty soon. Yeah. So it's not a purely theoretical competition. It's very practical. No, 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 it's quite pragmatic. Still with quality because we will have some pretty good uh, prize money for the design competition. So that will attract uh, talented. Uh, a talented pool of, of designers, but uh, with a practical outcome. Do you have a sense at this stage of what those sort of entries are going to look like? Is it sort of components that go into structures or more holistic building systems? Do you have any sense at this stage? No, I don't. And I think it's open. We have two um, draft teams. One is around new uh, building design based on existing ones. So a code plus upgrade of an existing model that belongs to the builder or developer or to their architects, whatever. And another theme is the um, an extension module for an existing home, an old home that uh, can be fully prefabricated off-site. So probably in a case like this, the brief will include uh, that uh, the entries to the competition will be based on a team, a designer and or architect plus a prefabricator or a builder, right? So to prove that they have the capacity to implement and they have thought about the building process associated with the idea. So to make it more practically relevant. But an idea like this, I know already from talks that I've had, will be very, very interesting for the insurers, for the councils to approve, and for the governments to, to uh, subsidize. Because remember, governments now are subsidizing uh, caravans. And people don't like to, to, to stay in a caravan for nine months, one year, while the home is being refurbished. So why not, for an equivalent amount of money, subsidize something which is permanent and more robust and more resilient, right? In certain areas. Yeah. So yeah, okay. th this idea was... I mean, people did like this idea, but then individual briefs will be based on these ideas, but also m very much on the input from the 
part of this. Sure. Okay. So we've got this range of stakeholders that are you know, interested in participating. We have the design competition that's going to spark some interest and sort of kick off this flow of developing new solutions and bringing them you know, into reality and commercialization and practicality, which is all, it's all really exciting. So what do you need at this point um, for the program to succeed? What sort of other contributions and involvement do you need from the broader industry? Well, I need to start it. Uh, in this phase, we've done a couple of months of individual talks, reached out to people who said we are interested. Now on Monday, I will have the, um, the draft uh, legal agreement issued. Uh, so people will start having a look at this and maybe in two, three weeks, we can convene a kickoff meeting with the interested parties, but still the door will be open to other interested parties in the future. So it doesn't mean, we will start it in October, practically with meetings, etc. But then if someone comes up in December and says, I'm interested, there will still be uh, an open door to, to, to make them join in. Yeah, well, we don't know exactly when this episode's going to go to air yet. So it may well be up and running, as you say, by that time. Um, it's good to hear that it was going to be open to contributors. Is there anything in yeah, is there anything specific that you need from the frame and trust sector and fabricators? How can they contribute and get involved? Well, just be part of it. Uh, FTMA and EWPAA have already committed to joining the program, but individual companies are also very, very welcome. And we will try to define together with them company-specific objectives especially in, pay, in phase two, which is more about the R&D generated uh, by the design competition ideas. Uh, so, and through initiatives and collaborations that will start within the partnership, so uh, among partners, like it happened in the Midrise Advisory Program. It took a while, but there were, uh, collaboration that started within the partnership on a specific project in which uh, an individual company would not be the best fit for the client and therefore they decided to put together their uh, uh, skills and experiences and materials to deliver something better for the client and better for them as well. Okay, so there are opportunities there to sort of shape some of these solutions. You know, if you're a business that has a certain expertise or a certain strategy for growth that relies on you know, market demand for, for certain things or market acceptance acceptance of different solutions, I suppose that's an opportunity then to get involved and help or contribute yeah. to the direction of the program and the, the type of solution development that, that is going to be taking place. Exactly. So look, I've seen this um, a few times in my professional life, which is now almost 40 years always in the timber business, that if you start considering your competitor as your potential colleague in some instances, you can do some part of the journey together and then next year or in the next project, you go back and be a competitor. We will not force this type of collaboration in, by any means, but we've seen this happening. And when it happens, it's beneficial for, uh, for all who decided because it's beneficial for their clients you know it's a customer oriented approach 
Yeah, I think that's been a highlight for me coming into this industry over the last three years for me. Not not anywhere near your 40 at this stage. Um, but, uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, that, that sense of collaboration and that willingness to rally around the cause yeah. of advocating for timber structures and prefabricated timber, I think has been exceptional. So looking forward to continuing to, to work with you and others in the industry to yeah. bring this program to life. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I see your passion. I see your skills. So you are a very welcome addition to our sector. And I know you will be there for the long run. Oh, I wish you this. I've been happy <laughs> working with uh, Timber for 40 years. So I wish you will be too. I'm told that once you get in, that that's it. This is the end of the line. I'm here for the rest of my career. So a number of people are giving me yeah. that advice. <laughs> yeah, for the good reason though, right? Because it's, it's something that's fulfilling and it's a good business as well. Absolutely. And so thank you for joining us today. I have really enjoyed this conversation. As you mentioned, we always love talking about timber and the benefits of timber and how we can share that passion with the broader industry. So looking forward to contributing to the program. We'll have some more information in the show notes for anyone who's interested in getting involved and getting in contact with Paolo. But for now, we'll leave it there. So thank you very much, Paolo, for sharing some more information with us today. My pleasure, Adam, and thanks for having me. That's all for today's Pridopod. Thanks for listening, and thank you to Paolo for continuing his campaign to secure Timber's future as the structural material of choice. Don't forget to check out our show notes to take a deeper dive yourself, or download some resources to share with your team. Join us again next time as I'm joined by a titan of the frame and truss industry, Kirsten Gentle. As CEO of the Frame and Trust Manufacturers Association, she has been a valiant supporter of our industry through some of its most challenging times. We're going to explore what's next for the FTMA as it expands its focus to become a force for growth and progress in timber framing. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to share it with your friends and colleagues and make sure to subscribe by Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any ideas for future topics or want to drop me a line, I would love to hear from you. Find me on LinkedIn or email me at adawson at prideraimz.com.